Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation, chapter 21. You know, the remaining two chapters of Revelation describe the eternal things, consummated the kingdom of God, established with His saints on the new earth. And we find things going to a state of eternity, the eternal state. In fact, we'll divide this chapter, if you will. The first eight verses, we'll say the eternal state, verses 1 through 8. And then another division is the vision of the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, uh, verses 9 through 27. Just a couple of sections in this chapter. A lot of details and a lot of things we have to consider But on the other hand, you could say we're dealing with the eternal state of things and also with the vision of the holy city, New Jerusalem. Let's read uh, verses 1 through 3, and then I'll come back and give you a little bit of introduction, bring you up to date on this. Verses 1 through 3. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. We do come into the eternal state of things. But we followed from the 19th chapter, verse 1, when we started with the hallelujahs over the victory of, the, of Babylon's fall in the 18th, 17th, 18th chapter, the fall of Babylon. We have followed things in a chronological order up to this point. Let me just rehearse some of the things we have seen. We had the hallelujahs celebrating Babylon's fall in the 19th chapter. We also had the marriage of the Lamb. The bride. The glorified church, actually, all together in the 19th chapter. We had the heavens open and Christ coming with His saints. We had after he, as He comes back in uh, wrath. We had the battle of Armageddon. And we had the beast and the false prophet. They were cast in the lake of fire. We had the supper of the great God where uh, in this battle all the carrion birds were called upon to, to feed upon the slain because uh, the day of God's wrath had come. And we had Satan cast into the bottomless pit and put in chains early in the 20th chapter. We had the reign of Christ and His saints for a thousand years. We had Satan loose for a little season and the fire of judgment comes down from heaven. And heaven and earth has to flee away. Fire came down out of heaven, devoured the ones that were coming against God's people. We had the second resurrection, which was 
uh, right before the great white throne judgment in the 20th chapter, the second resurrection, the resurrection of the wicked dead, and then the judgment of the great white throne. And then we come to the eternal state of the redeemed and the lost. In the last part of the 20th chapter, we find, you know, the wicked dead judged, and all whose names were not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. So the judgment of God upon the wickedness, and yet we know that the saved were saved and the lost were lost, and that brings us to this eternal state of things. And when we get into this chapter, we're going to find that, that some of the things detail that millennial scene in the 20th chapter. We'll find that it reverts back and tells us some additional things that you couldn't say in just one word. When, when uh, John was saying, when God was saying uh, that the saints of God were ruling and reigning with Christ, those that had part in the first resurrection and, and they martyred saints, and we read that and studied in our last lesson. When he was saying that, we do not see all the details of how this took place. We're going to see some details of it, how the New Jerusalem, also seen as the bride... We had the bride back there in the 19th chapter, didn't we? We had the marriage supper of the Lamb. But we're going to see that during that millennial scene, the new Jerusalem is seen above the earth and the reign of Christ is is actually taking place with His saints looking down immediately upon the earth in that heavenly new Jerusalem that's described here. And some of the details of what we've already studied in the millennial reign will be brought out as we study it. It's just like, you know, a preacher preaching a sermon. He can give you five or six points, but then he may have to refer back to give you all the detailed material in that one thought. We said, you know, let's just put it this way. We said that the, the saints ruled and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. That's a statement. But how they did and the atmosphere and the, the uh, characteristics, the, the details of that rule and reign are not complete by just stating it. By just stating it in the 20th chapter. And so we're going to find that the millennial seen is brought back. We're brought back to the millennial state, especially when we get to verse 9, when it says, look at verse 9 just briefly, and we'll come back and study from verse 1. But if you look at verse 9, it says, And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues. I thought we were through with all this, didn't you? But now we're reminded again, and talk with me, John says, saying, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Well, we saw that in the 19th chapter, didn't we? And we saw that bride ruling and reigning with Christ in the 20th chapter. But uh, he's saying here, I want you to revert back to that scene of the millennium and that scene as a whole and consider the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he's going to picture that bride as the new Jerusalem and the heavenly city coming down from God out of heaven. We have a lot of references that will open up uh, ramifications about this. Uh, it's, It's a wonderful thing to study the Bible, but you have to study it. You have to study it in many ways, in in every aspect of it. For instance, let me give you this. Remember when we started the book of Revelation? We saw the churches. After we got out of the churches, 
in the fourth chapter, we saw uh, when the 24 elders, we saw the representation of the Old Testament and the New Testament saints already with the Lord. The 24 elders representative of the Old and New Testament of the redeemed. In chapter 5, they were singing songs of redemption. You get over to the 19th chapter after the terrible tribulation is over, and you don't see the elders anymore. You see the bride. You see the marriage of the Lamb. So you're transferred from that the redeemed being represented by the 24 elders to the New Testament element of it, the, the bride of Christ, the New Testament church, or the church of this day and age of grace since uh, the days of the apostles, you'll find that they're with Christ in a glorified state and they're presented to Christ as the bride. Well, we already saw that in the 19th chapter. And now, we have, and in the 20th chapter, we've seen them ruling and reigning with Christ. And now in the 21st chapter, we're studying, we're looking back to another aspect of that same group, the bride, and how they're represented in the eternal state of things. So having said that, maybe that we'll, it'll be a little easier for us to comprehend this as we look at these verses. So, in verse 1, chapter 21, verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Now then, God tells us that there's going to be a change in the heavens and the earth. Back in the book of Isaiah, chapter 65 and verse 17, God says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. That's Isaiah 65, verse 17. Peter tells us, look in the book of 2 Peter, chapter 3. Let me uh, begin reading with uh, verse uh, 9, and then we'll come back and I'll point out something else. You have 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the now listen, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. Now it doesn't mean the heavens where God dwells, but the heavens, the atmospheric heavens round about us. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The heavens and the earth, the atmospheric heavens and the earth. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, he repeats it again, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now then, when we say the heavens and the earth shall pass away or be dissolved, what do we mean by that? And what does Peter mean by that? He doesn't mean that this earth is going to disappear. He doesn't mean the atmospheric heavens are going to be disappeared. He, he means that they're going to be purified or cleansed. And it's just like they were cleansed by water in the days of Noah. In fact, the context of this passage will show that Noah stepped out on a new earth. By the way, did you see Noah's ark? Anybody? 
very interesting, but the most unscriptural thing I ever saw in my life. You know, how Hollywood can really present things is something else, isn't it? If you didn't see it, you might see it just for laughs. But... And here comes a guy, Noah's out here on this ark, you know, and here comes a guy paddling with a little rowboat out there, selling him goods during the flood. I mean, they really get this thing. And Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed before Noah ever, and you know, that was after, a long time after. And he didn't, he didn't know anything about Lot and have any relationship with him. And, uh, you know, Lot comes in on a bunch of pirate ships trying to attack. I'm telling you, Hollywood can really mess it up, can't it? But uh, where was I? I was talking about a, I was talking about a cleansed heaven and a cleansed earth. Now you look back in Second Peter, if you have it. We just read where the heavens being on fire would be, be dissolved, and the earth uh, we'd have a new heaven and a new earth. Peter says we look according to his promise for a new heaven and a new earth. Does that mean this earth is going to completely be blown up? No, it's not going to be blown up. God says the earth will abide forever. God is not through with this world. And it's not going to explode in a ball of fire. It's going to be cleansed by fire. But you look at the context now, back here in Second Peter 3. Okay. Look at verse 3. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, they haven't. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. The, the world that then was being overflowed with water, what did it do? Perished. Did that mean that it was gone? No, it means it was flooded. It means it was cleansed by water. In Noah's day, that's what it means. It perished because all uh, flesh perished upon the earth, but the ones that God saved, Noah and his families, his wife and and the sons and their wives, by the way, if you, I'm referring back to that picture. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, look, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So they're kept in store. Just as the earth was preserved and kept after it was, it perished, so to speak, in the flood. The same earth is still here. It's going to perish or be dissolved or be destroyed by fire in the future. And being thus destroyed or dissolved, as it says, it simply means that it's going to be purified by fire. This earth is not going to disappear. Still going to be here. God's going to make some changes, some drastic changes, and the fire is going to cleanse it. We saw in the last chapter where there's a millennial reign of Christ upon the earth for a thousand years, but that's not the end of it yet. 
we're talking about a new heaven and a new earth. And we're talking about one that's new in the sense that has been cleansed and it will be made ready for the holy city, the heavenly Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. Paul refers to it in the book of Hebrews, says you're coming to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem. Well, it's going to come down from God out of heaven and it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And the bride of Christ are the same people that we've been talking about in the 20th chapter and in the 19th chapter are going to be the inhabitants of that holy city. And by the way, the city and the people are really spoken of as one. That Don't let that confuse you when we get into it. Because Jesus said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. He's talking to the city, wasn't he? The earthly Jerusalem. He says, How often would I have gathered thy children together? And he then begins to personify as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wing, but ye would not. Who? Ye, Jerusalem? You people of Jerusalem. So the people and the city are, are spoken of in, in uh, equal terms. Or in the same terms. So when we see this city coming down from God, this holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's not the city itself that's the bride. It's the people that inhabit the city, but that's the way it's prepared. It has all the glory of a bride. And we're going to see the glory of that heavenly city uh, as we get into the lesson. So let's look at this. With uh, that much information in our minds, we'll begin to see as John develops the thought of the holy city coming down from God out of heaven, how that even that church, that bride of Revelation chapter 19, and the saints that ruled and reigned with Christ of chapter 20 are seen in a little different light and a little different vantage point so that you see a little more clearly what will be the final state of the church. So let's look at it with that. In verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, cleansed heaven and a cleansed earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. Does that mean that God sent another planet down here and there was no more earth itself? No. They were passed away in the sense that they were foreknown. And and there was no more sea. Now, uh, over two-thirds, isn't it, of our world, is or the earth, the planet, is covered with... Seas, oceans, there was no more sea. Uh, This is probably literal. But, you know, it also may represent something. There was no more sea may uh, symbolically mean also that there will be no more uh, wicked turmoil. You know, the wicked, a literal statement or symbolical statement, the sea represents turmoil and separation between nations and between God and men. And in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be no more turmoil and separation. But I believe it's literally talking also about the fact there will be no more seed. So we'll have a great increase of land space, won't we? If that's what we're talking about in a literal sense. Remember that a lot of these things we see in the 21st chapter are symbolical. But that doesn't mean that they're not actual as well. They're symbolical in some ways. Because the Bible tells us when we first started, He sent and signified or signified or sent signs or symbols of these things unto John. Now, how much of it is symbol and how much of it is actual, literal? 
We cannot say. And sometimes that which is literal symbolizes something as well. A literal happening can be a symbol of something else along with it. So you cannot separate them completely. That's what I'm trying to say. So I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. First Thessalonians chapter 4, what does it say? It tells us that the coming of the Lord, verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Christ is coming for His own. But He comes down from heaven, but He doesn't come all the way to the earth. In this passage of Scripture, for the Lord Himself shall what? Descend. Look at verse 16. You have 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, but He doesn't come all the way to the earth. With the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Well, He descends. Why do we need to be caught up if He descends? Because He doesn't come all the way. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. That shows that He doesn't come all the way down, does it? To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Above the earth, or in the heavens, or wherever He takes us. We believe that we're going to come back with Him when He comes in Revelation 19. We've already studied that. When all the saints come with Him. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, when you read this, Revelation 21... Verse two, and I saw John, and I John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That means that this holy city comes down, the bride comes down, but it does not necessarily mean that it comes down literally to the earth itself. But it may be suspended. Most Bible scholars believe that New Jerusalem is suspended somewhat above the earth. As a symbol of rule and reign, as a symbol of God's power and God's presence, and God's people are with, are there. We're told that this is the uh, the bride adorned for her husband. Look at verse three. And I heard a voice out of heaven saying, "Behold, the tabernacle, the tent, the dwelling place of God is with men, and He will dwell with them." And they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. God dwelt in the, in the Old Testament. God dwelt in the tabernacle. The Shekinah glory behind the veil was symbolic of God's presence. In fact, they say that it was the very presence of God because there was such a shining and such a glory that it had such power with it and such illumination that they could detect not only a symbol of His presence, but the actual presence of God. I wonder what it would have felt like to walk into that Shekinah glory behind that veil. You know, the, the, whole, the high priest went in once a year with the blood of atonement from the brazen altar, and he applied that to the mercy seat behind the veil. 
And we're told, Jewish tradition tells us that for fear that he would die in there and no one was... If you entered in there without the blood, you're gone. Because that's God's presence. It says that you couldn't enter in there. And he entered in not but once a year and not without blood, it says. And they say, Jewish tradition says that they would tie a rope or a, a cord around his leg and when he would go in so that they would... If something happened to him while he's in there, no one would have to go in there. They could pull him out from behind that veil. Now, many Jews believe that that's exactly what they did. And Jewish tradition teaches that. Whether or not that's true, I don't know. But we know he was in danger. We do know that. Because it's God's presence. Um, Anyway, back to this. The tabernacle of God is with men. The tabernacle in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the midst of that. And then the temple, a perfect cube. By the way, we'll see the cube of the holy city in the midst. Solomon's temple was a perfect cube made after the order of the tabernacle. Only we're talking about in the tabernacle of old, there were two uh, rectangulars. One was a perfect cube, the Holy of Holies. But the front part of the tabernacle was two-thirds. And the other, the cube was one-third behind the veil. So this part out here would have made two cubes equal size to the Holy of Holies. If you say the holy place and the most holy place. I think some of you have been here when I was teaching the tabernacle. But anyway, Solomon's temple was a perfect cube. And so what we see here is that God dwelt in the tabernacle of old in the presence of His people. In the days of Moses, He dwelt in the uh, temple in the presence of His people. Solomon dedicated it for that purpose. We find that Jesus came and the Bible says dwelt among us or tabernacled among us. We find that when Jesus was taken into heaven, He says, I'm going to dwell in your midst. And the Bible says, you are the temple of God individually. And Paul said to the Corinthian church as a local church, ye are the temple of God. Both are true. He dwells in the church and He dwells in our temple as well. So, He's seen as dwelling in the church. He's seen as dwelling in the individual believer. And then, there's going to come a time that He will literally dwell with His people again in this holy city. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be with them and be their God. That's going to be a glorious day, isn't it? That's going to be the time we're all looking for. And the next verse tells us the glories of it. Look at verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. God's going to bring that to pass someday. Every tear will be wiped away. Every broken heart will be healed. Every stream of sorrow will be ended. Every spring of grief will be dried up. Tears of misfortune. Tears of disappointment. Tears of neglect. And tears of penance. Tears of poverty. Tears of bereavement. 
tears of sympathy and mercy. We won't have to cry about the other fellow's hurts anymore because he won't have any. Isn't that something? All these tears will be wiped away. And there will be no more death. Death that touches every heart now, that enters every home, that is uh, very prominent, and we see it every day in our lives. Death. But there will be no more death. I have a little thing written by James Montgomery. It says, Beyond this veil of tears, there is a life above, unmeasured by the flight of years, and all that life is love. Won't be anything but good and love and joy. Well, that'll be a day, won't it? Think of all the wars and the hurts and the pain and the killing and the violence and the wickedness. And even in a normal condition, for most every one of us, there's pain in our lives because of sickness and disease. And think of all that vanishing away, plus the fact there will be no more death. It won't die anymore. Because we'll be in an eternal state of glory. And verse 6 says, And he, he said unto me, It is done. The word means accomplished, finished. It is done. We find back in the Old Testament in one of the Psalms that says, He hath done it or accomplished it. We find Jesus, when He hung on the cross, He cried out, It is finished. The same thing. Accomplished. We're going to find here, when this is all said and done, it is done. He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He states again the purpose of salvation by grace, doesn't he? Isn't that a wonderful thought that even at the end in the, of eternal things, he still reminds us that he, he's the one that gives uh, of the fountain of life to the one that is thirst for salvation. And the water of life, how, how is it? Freely. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't deserve it. But it's freely. Verse 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he shall be my son. He that overcometh. All through, remember when we're studying the second and third chapter of the book of Revelation concerning the letters to the churches? In every one of them he talks about the overcomer. He that overcometh will I give. This and that and the other. There was a reward for the overcomer. And here now he sums it up. He that in Overcometh shall inherit all things. So the churches are encouraged to overcome the problems and trials and situations that we have to deal with. You know, living a Christian life is a blessed thing, but it's not an easy thing. Sometimes there, it's a lot of sufferings, there's a lot of problems. Just like now, I wish that dog would shut up. <laughs> but see, we put up with these things. And he that overcometh, and I'm going to overcome him. The Lord's going to overcome him. He that overcometh shall inherit all things. And we're encouraged all through. If you read those letters to the seven churches, and I, I hesitate to go back now and show you the promises, but he talks about, I'll give to eat of the tree of life, and I'll give this blessing and that blessing and the other. In every one of the letters to the seven churches, the overcomer is promised a great blessing. And here, it says, He will inherit not just some of those things, but all things. And I will be His God, and He shall be my Son. He'll renew and reaffirm that 
great relationship between, between us and Himself. Now look at verse 8. But the fearful, look at this, the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part, what they deserve, in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You know, if there's an eternal city and an eternal blessing, there's an eternal punishment, which is the second death. Now, God will punish wickedness. You know, there is, there is a balance of things in life. There's right and wrong. There's good and bad. There's night and day. There's uh, the stormy days and there's the beautiful days. We have all, everything has an opposite. And, and if there's good in heaven, if there's glory, if there's blessings, then the opposite side of that has to be there's judgment upon wickedness. And the Bible says that the God of all the earth will do right. The judge of all the earth will do right. And He will not judge anyone more severely than, than they deserve. Jesus said, He that has done many things will be beaten with many stripes. And He's done other things will be beaten with few stripes. So there's a degree of punishment. And there's a degree of of blessings in heaven, there's a degree of punishment in hell. So, notice who's going there. The fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Remember we, we said in the 20th chapter, look, in the 20th chapter, Verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. So for the believers, for the children of God, for those that are saved, for those that are resurrected when Christ comes, those that are in that holy city, are exempt from the second death. It says, On such the second death hath no, hath no power. And you know, we not only have to wait till we read the book of Revelation to have that assurance. But Jesus gave that, us that assurance in John chapter 5, verse 24. You ought to memorize that verse. He said, Verily, verily, truly, truly, surely, surely, verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting, hath, present tense, hath everlasting life. That's the kind you have. And it says, and shall not come into condemnation. The word there, condemnation, means that final great crisis or judgment. We will not stand before that great white throne judgment, the way I understand it. Shall not come into judgment, but is passed, already passed, from death unto life. Well, we know it has to be talking about spiritual life or eternal life, because we're not passed from physical death unto life, are we? So it has to be talking about spiritual life. Eternal life, that was the subject of the verse anyway, is passed from death into life. We're already exempt from that judgment. And that's why it says, on such the second death hath no power. So we don't have to wait till we read this in the book of Revelation to have the assurance of it, do we? 
We already have it. Now look at verse 9. Now then, we'll have to close here in just a moment, but I want to give you this. And there came unto me one of the seven angels which had the seven vials. We didn't talk about these till way back there, did we? The angel with the seven vials and the seven last plagues. We're back there when the plagues and judgment. But there came one of the angels. And it says, and talked with me, John says, saying, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. He wants to show us how this bride is adorned for her husband. The city is the bride. But the inhabitants are the people. Uh, the saved are, are the inhabitants of that holy city. Just like we uh, used the terms interchangeably a little bit ago. To show you that, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets. Well, did the city kill the prophets or the people in the city kill the prophets? It was the inhabitants, wasn't it? And, and uh, stonest them that are sent unto thee, they stoned the prophets. How often would I have gathered thy children together, the individuals in that city, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem? As a hen gathered her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. It wasn't the city that would not, was it? It was the people in the city that would not. This same thing here. When uh, John is talking about the, uh, the bride, and he sees this city, and that's what he's going to show us. Uh, look at verse 9 again. Come hither, the last part of verse 9. Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Out of heaven from God. So, let me just put something to you now. If this bride here is in this holy city, descending out of heaven from God, We've already seen them in the first resurrection in the 20th chapter. We've already seen them coming with Christ in the 19th chapter. We've already seen them ruling and reigning with Christ in the 20th chapter. So this may take us back to give us details of what, was, what actually happened in the 20th chapter, showing us the rule and reign of Christ and His saints over the earth. Because here they're seen again. But how are they seen this time? They're not talking about the resurrection now. They're not talking about Christ coming back in judgment as in the 19th chapter. They're talking about the bride and its eternal state and what it's seen like. And evidently, if they're coming down from God out of heaven, this has already really happened and, and it's a millennial scene. This takes us back to the millennial state of things when the saints did rule and reign with Christ from that holy city, New Jerusalem. That came down from God out of heaven. Now I know it's hard to understand all these details. But you have to picture them as a whole. And not just as an individual particle of something. Just like we told you in the 19th chapter. There was a marriage supper of the Lamb, right? We told you in the 19th chapter. That those the same ones that were married. That the bride... Uh, when Jesus comes back in the 19th chapter, He comes back on the white stallion and all the saints with Him. Because they're seen as still dressed in the same attire, white linen, clean and white, 
the righteousness of the saints and they're seen coming with Christ. So they come back to the earth with Him. Now then, so He's going to dwell with them in this heavenly city. So evidently He's coming back in... In another aspect of His coming, we see Him dwelling with His people, and we see them the bride as a city. The new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. To a cleansed and purified earth that is cleansed by fire, as the Bible predicts it will be cleansed. At what point in time, we don't know. But uh, if you look at verse 11 of the 20th chapter... It's a way, it could have happened right here that the cleansing by fire took place. But if you look at verse 11 of the 20th chapter, it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face, look, the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So that cleansing that Peter speaks of, and that cleansing that uh, Isaiah speaks of, so that there will be a new heaven and a new earth could have happened right there before this great white throne was set to judge the wicked dead. Or at the, uh, maybe the same time. The time element, we don't know. We just know some things that God has given us to uh, help us to glorify Him and to help us to to be thankful for the fact that there will be such an eternal state. And I don't believe until all of these things happen, Revelation 19, 20, and 21 especially, the coming of Christ in the millennium and all this, I don't believe that we'll fully understand the ramifications, the details of it.